Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, and I do have, hope you have them with you, please turn them to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. For the sake of those of you joining this live stream who are not part of Grace Community Church, my name is Chris Patton. I have the joy of serving here at Grace as one of the pastors. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. We are glad that, that you've decided to join our live stream, and we pray that you would meet the Lord in a wonderful way uh, as you watch today. Uh, to those of you who do attend Grace, as Jeremy said, uh, I am grateful that we are one day closer to the day when we can meet together again. Uh, I miss all of you, love all of you, and uh, eagerly anticipate when we can gather again. That said, I'm very grateful for the means of grace that technology is. I'm grateful that we can gather in this way today. Well, as many of you know, we're in a series. We're going through the book of First John. The title of the series is Genuine Christianity. Our text today is First John chapter 4, verses 13 to 21. That brings us to the end of the chapter. So let's in this moment prepare our hearts, dear church, to be addressed by God himself. We're not gathered this morning simply to hear man speak, but we are here to hear God speak through his word. This is God's holy, inspired, authoritative word. First John chapter 4, we begin reading in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 17. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19. We love Because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen. Cannot love God. Whom he has not seen. And this commandment. We have from him. Whoever loves God. Must also love His brother. May God bless the preaching of His word this morning and write its eternal truth upon our hearts. Sometimes 
certainty matters. Sometimes assurance matters. Sometimes you just have to know that you know that something is true. Every once in a while I'll have a dream. I've had this dream many times in the past and I anticipated that at some point before too long I'll have this dream again. Uh, some of you have probably had similar dreams to this. In this dream, I am transported back some 20 years ago to when I was a college student at Westchester University. In college, I was a computer science major, and I worked really hard in what was a difficult major for me to do my best. In this dream, I have one final class that I need to pass in order to graduate. What makes this a terrible dream, an awful dream, is that I am failing this class, and in the dream, I am simply terrified that I'm not going to pass and that I will never graduate. Of course, inevitably, I wake up from the dream uh, in a cold sweat. I'm startled, and I'm momentarily panic-stricken, thinking, oh, no. I never really graduated. I wake up in that, in that brief moment longing for reassurance that it was all just a bad dream. I wake up craving certainty that I have indeed successfully completed college and graduated with my degree in computer science. Well, thankfully, of course, uh, certainty does come within seconds as the grogginess and the deep sleep wears off. Uh, and then I begin to praise God with all of my heart that I am indeed a go- college graduate and that I do not have to go back to school <laughs> to try to pass one more class in order to graduate. Sometimes certainty matters. In the passage before us, the Apostle John's original audience, they longed for certainty And they longed for certainty, not regarding a silly dream, but regarding matters of eternal importance. John's original readers needed certainty that the gospel that they had believed in was true. They needed certainty that they belonged to God. They needed certainty that they were saved. They needed this assurance because false teachers had greatly undermined their confidence in the gospel and consequently their assurance of salvation. You may recall from previous weeks, the false teachers proclaimed a false form of spirituality that boasted of great intimacy with God, yet this teaching denied the incarnation. It rejected the humanity of Christ and it promoted sinful living. While some in the church that John was writing to followed these heretical teachers right out of the church, the believing faithful who remained needed assurance that the false teachers were wrong and that the gospel that they had believed at first was indeed not the gospel of man, but that it was God's gospel. Loving pastor that he was, John in this book wrote 
to care for the souls of those affected by this false teaching. He wrote to definitively set the record straight. How can a person know that they are of God? How can a person know that they belong to God and that they are a child of God? Please look at verse 13 with me. The Apostle John says, By this we know, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. How do we know? Because He has given us His Spirit. Here the Apostle John states, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is the defining mark that they belong to God. Now that's that's all well and good, but it begs the question, how can someone know with certainty that God's Spirit dwells within them? Well, in our text, the Apostle John gives two criteria by which his original readers could evaluate themselves as well as the false teachers. And these criteria, they are intended by God in particular to strengthen true believers' assurance, to strengthen our assurance, yours and mine, of our salvation, to strengthen our assurance, our assurance that we are God's children, to strengthen our assurance that we belong to God. If you're, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I pray that this passage this morning will help you to better understand who Jesus is and what he came to do and what an awesome, amazing Savior he is. And that I pray that this passage would cause you to put your faith in him and experience the awesome salvation that he came to provide and that causes our hearts as believers to thrill and to rejoice and to praise God. So, how do we know? How do we know that we have the Spirit of God living inside of us? Evaluative criteria number one. We've got two of them. Here's the first. Do we confess that Jesus is the Son of God? If you're taking notes, you might want to write that question down. Do we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. In this passage and in this book, the Apostle John is clear. A primary evidence that God's Spirit indwells a person is that they confess that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh. Verse 15, please look there. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, what does John say? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him and he in God. You will recall Jesus' question to his disciple Peter. Who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. This was a defining moment in the Apostle Peter's life where he professed faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. When following Peter's profession, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. He was not instituting the papacy as our Roman Catholic friends uh, might think. He was saying, he was saying this, on this rock I'll build my church. Jesus was saying, 
I am going to build my church as countless multitudes make this same profession that you, Peter, in this moment just made. And indeed, that is what's happened. As the gospel has gone forth throughout the ages, many have made that same profession. They've responded to that question of Jesus, who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? By professing faith in Jesus. In 1 John and in our text, the Apostle John underscores the necessity of a simple, accurate, Peter-like profession of faith, if you will. A true believer, an authentic Christian, someone who is of God, to borrow John's phrase, must confess that Jesus is the Son of God coming to the world in human flesh to save sinners like you and me. If a person believes and confesses otherwise, John is clear. In this text and in this book, they cannot be a genuine Christian. They do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They cannot be of God. Many major and minor world religions accord Jesus a place of honor and respect. But here's the main problem. They do not confess that Jesus is God come into the flesh to rescue and redeem us. I want to ask every person watching this morning right now. What is your response to Jesus' question to Peter? Who do you say I am? Do you believe that Jesus was and is the Son of God? Do you believe that He was and is truly God and truly man? Do you believe? Do you believe that He came to die on a cross in our place, bearing the punishment we rightly deserve for our sins? Well, if the answer is yes, then all that is left is to personally put your faith in him where you say, I trust that he did all of that, not just for the world in general, but for me personally. I trust in nothing I've done, can do, or will do, but in Christ and Christ alone to save me. I yield my life to him. I turn from my sins. I submit to him as the king of all, as the son of God, and as the savior of the world. If you do that, the Bible says you can be certain that your sins are forgiven, that you are part of God's family, and that you have eternal life. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ like that, I urge you, do not delay. Do so today. Call on the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. For those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, I realize that's most of you. I remind you, your Your profession of faith, your profession of faith is a precious, it is a precious gift. Your profession of faith is evidence that you belong to God. It is evidence, it is evidence that the spirit of the living God himself lives inside of you. It is evidence that you are a child of God, that you are, your sins are forgiven, that you've been adopted into God's family and and that he is your father. So you can draw near to him in prayer. 
crying, Abba, Father, you can make your needs known to him. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven. I remind you, the same is true of every person who who has put their faith in Jesus and made a profession of faith. We didn't save ourselves. The Father, by the Spirit, has opened our eyes to understand, to grasp, to see, like Peter, who Jesus really is. What a miracle of grace, dear church. May we never tire of recalling His grace, remembering His grace, celebrating His amazing grace. How do we know that we know the Spirit of God lives inside of us? Second evaluative criteria. Do we love others? Do we love others? Please look with me at verse 16. John writes, So, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So how does a person know with certainty that they abide in God and God abides in them? Well, John says they abide in love, meaning they love others and they love others consistently. They love others well. In verses 17 to 18, the Apostle John speaks of love perfected in the believer. Love perfected does not mean on this side of heaven that we ever come to a place where we love perfectly. No, we we all fail and stumble at this point. We all love very imperfectly and need to be forgiven oftentimes for our lack of love. Love perfected, it doesn't mean that we love perfectly. It is simply mature love. Love perfective is love not in word only, but in deed and action. Love perfected is God's love in the gospel so filling our hearts that it flows out like a mighty river in love for God and love for other people. A fruit of this love, verse 17, please look there, is confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, that's speaking of Christ, so also we are in this world. In other words, John is saying, as we evidence Christ-like love, the kind of love that Jesus himself demonstrated during his earthly life, as we show that kind of love to the people around us, well, that then strengthens our assurance, our confidence, our certainty that we are children of God. And As our confidence is strengthened that we are children of God, it helps us to anticipate that last day when we stand before the heavenly tribunal of God, helps us to anticipate that day with confidence. While we are absolutely not saved by our love, we are saved by grace and grace alone, God is love. And when our love as His children resembles His when it looks like his love, and well, that yields proof that we are indeed his children. And it's, it's, it strengthens our, our certainty that we belong to God. In verse 18, John goes on. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. 
And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Here John acknowledges that fear and love cannot coexist. They don't go together. They are entirely incompatible. It's like oil and water. They they don't mix. Just think about this. You cannot be filled with a deep sense of God's love that overflows in love for others and simultaneously be fearful that he's going to punish you. It just doesn't work that way. Where on one hand, that you can't have that at the same time. Filled with a sense of love for, of, of God's love. I know he loves me. And that's overflowing in love for, for others. And then I'm fearful thinking that God might punish me. Here's why that doesn't work. True Christian love for other people is a fruit. It's a fruit of the kind of relationship with God that drives away fear. If I am secure in God's love, resting in God's love, trusting in God's love, that does two things for me. First, it causes me to not be afraid that God is going to punish me for my sins. And for those of you who have believed the gospel, aren't you thankful that you've been relieved of that fear? We will never, ever be punished for our sins. Yes, God may lovingly, caringly discipline us for our good, but we will never bear the judgment and wrath of God. That's because Jesus on that cross bore it all. He took it all for us. Dear church, we should never tire of rejoicing and celebrating in this truth of what he has done. So if I'm secure in God's love, it's going to help me to not be afraid God's going to punish me for my sins. The second effect is being so filled with God's love, so filled up with God's love, I am now eager to share that love with all those around me. Brothers and sisters, Christian love is, it's amazing. It is not fabricated. <laughs> it's not something you can self-generate. It's, it's, it's not contrived. Rather, Christian love is the overflow of our relationship with the triune God of the universe. The very one who defines love, embodies love, emanates love. Indeed, verse 19, we love. Why? Say it out loud wherever you're at. Because he first loved us. So one, one key point of application is this. If you want to become a more loving person, and I can't imagine that any, any true believer watching this morning doesn't want to become a more loving person. Uh, I know personally, I very much want to become a more loving person. If you want to become a more loving person, here's the application. Cultivate your relationship with God. Spend time with Him. Spend unhurried time with your Lord. Consider the gospel. Consider God's love for you in Christ. And slow down. Don't rush through this. Look up the scriptures that help you to perceive and to grasp the love of God. And allow the Lord to fill you. Allow Him to, allow Him to refresh you anew. Some of us, our love for God may have grown dull, grown stale or dry during this recent season. I just want to say, if if that is you, 
Don't just stay there. Don't just be content with staying in that, in that dry place. Come before the Lord and ask God to move powerfully in your life. Position yourself to receive from the Holy Spirit. Con- position yourself to allow the Spirit to continue His good work of perfecting God's love in your heart. He wants to fill you with a deep awareness of His love. God intends to do that. And the overflow of that, the inevitable overflow of that, is going to be love for other people. Um, if you Again, if you feel like you're in a dry place, um, I'd encourage you, consider picking up the phone. Call a brother or a sister, say, you know, I'm just, I'm just convicted for where I'm at and the place that I'm at. My lack of love for God and others. Uh, would you just pray for me that the Lord would help me? Would you pray that the Lord would new, renew me and refresh me? And I do believe, uh, friends, that the Lord has this. Um, even in these days of quarantine, these days don't need to be days of withdrawal from the Lord. They ought to be days of pressing into the Lord. And receiving from him and growing in him. In the remaining verses, verses 20 to 21, the Apostle John just presses home this point that love for our fellow brothers and sisters is the defining quality of those who belong to God and have the spirit of God living inside of them. I just want to read them again. Uh, Please look there. Verse 20. If anyone says... If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God uh, must also love his brother. Here John is saying, if, if you fail in the easier task of loving your fellow Christians, who you see all the time, it is absurd to think you really love God who you can't see. It's very sobering on a personal level for me to consider, and I I don't want to miss this personally. If I truly love God, if I really love God, God's word makes it clear that will be seen in how well I love my wife, my children, And all of you. I'm reminded of Jesus' other question to Peter just prior to his ascension. He asked Peter, you remember, do you love me, Peter? What did Peter say? Yes, Lord, I do. Jesus replied back to him, well then, feed my sheep. In other words, go love them. If you love me, go love them. By feeding them my word. Some of us this morning, I do believe God is, God is asking, do you love me? We say, yes, Lord. Of course. You know I love you. And his reply to us is, well, then go love that person that you really don't feel like loving. That's difficult for you to love. That is hard for you to love. Again, while sober reflection might be in order, 
for some of us in response to this passage, I remind you, John's main goal was to help his readers understand the false teachers were not children of God because they had not love. Yet they were authentic children of God because they did indeed love one another. John was seeking to strengthen their certainty that they belonged to God. And God, by his Holy Spirit this morning, wants to strengthen our certainty as well. As we draw to a close, I want to encourage you, Grace Community Church, the way that you love one another is a definite mark of the activity of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Like every local church on the face of the earth, we as Grace Community Church, we're not perfect. But I want to remind you, and you know this to be true, I certainly do, this church, Grace Community Church, is a wonderful place to be. Together, as a body, we profess faith in Jesus Christ. We believe He is the Son of God. Come in the flesh to save sinners. And by God's grace, we do love one another. Again, not perfectly. But the Spirit of God is in our midst. He has done a wonderful thing in our church. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. And His love overflows through us to one another. In this quarantine, Jeremy and I often hear of how you have been reaching out to one another, serving one another, praying for one another. We thank God for that. I just want to say, by God's grace... May we excel in these things all the more. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your amazing love given to us in Christ. Lord, help us in the days ahead to more deeply grasp that love. Help us to love one another more, we pray. And all of God's people said, wherever you're at, amen. Amen.